Welcome to the Hired Geek Podcast. I'm Dustin Ramsdell, and every week I'm having conversations with influential hired leaders about the work they're doing, the impact they're making, and how you too can better implement technology to support student success. I'm excited for our episode today because the changing dynamics of higher ed staff and faculty recruitment, you know, has been, I think, just something that's been grabbing a lot of headlines. We've talked about it before, but I think diving even more in depth into it, somebody who is really just on the front lines and sort of talking with folks on a, on a larger scale, grappling and interfacing with this you know, ongoing issue, because I think there's just been those sort of disruptions and changing dynamics and everything. And we'll try to get our arms around that as much as we can in our conversation here today. But Marcy, if you want to kick us off, introduce yourself and briefly go over your background, and then we'll dig in with the work that you're doing now. Wonderful. Great intro. Changing dynamics. That's definitely going to be the, the common theme throughout our conversation today. I'm Marcy Glenn. I'm the CEO and Chief Talent Strategist at Another Source. And I'm passionate about revolutionizing the recruitment process um, by really taking the entire front end of the recruitment off of hiring managers' plates so that they are freed up to do what they do best, which is interview and select. And been partnering with higher ed since about 2009. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things I've always thought about. I forget if I'd mentioned this in the previous episode I was talking about it, is like, you know, at institutions that I've been at, there's not like, I think this is changing, but it's certainly slow is that like their HR might just be the person who's kind of approving things and pressing the buttons and posting it. But then like staff have to do all of the sort of vetting and interviews and all this kind of stuff and often like aren't really trained on it. So that idea is like, if we can just bring somebody in who has a little bit more expertise to like project plan or make the everything more sh- efficient or effective and everything. So certainly makes a lot of sense. But I think if you want to kind of get into a little bit more detail explaining briefly what another source does, because I think there's, like I said, just so much value in that. So if you just want to uh, give a little more context there. Yeah. So recognizing the need for tailored higher ed strategies that really could give hiring managers and candidates an edge in the recruitment process, we deliver innovative programs that really revolutionize that recruitment through an efficient fixed cost approach that promises successful outcomes. Um, So essentially what we do is take the front end off of the hiring team's plates. As you mentioned, it's not their day job. They're not recruiters. Um, However, they are the best at selecting who could add the most value to their team. So if we can ensure they have a robust and diverse candidate pool to do that with, then everyone's set set for success and it's a win-win across the board. Uh, Typically, we support recruitments across campus focusing on non-faculty staff hires from your your mid-level contributor up to about your associate vice president, associate vice provost level, from business affairs to student affairs to advancement to enrollment across the board. Yeah, and I guess a faculty recruitment, I feel like it's probably its own beast and sort of like own specialty and quirks and stuff. But I think like certainly like the dynamics sort of uh, as my next question, I think could be certainly applicable broadly as I think we sort of just like set things even as much as like faculty recruitment might be kind of its own kind of focus area in terms of just like the way that they do their sort of hiring processes. There's a lot of stuff that's just sort of happening right now and how higher institutions have to think about how they're recruiting, how they're appealing to potential staff members and everything like that. So as much as I'm tempted to sort of just like list off all the things that I'm seeing, I'll just leave this question As it is, take it as you will. But what are some of your broad reflections on the changing dynamics that are impacting the space, you know, that you've seen over time, even at another source? 
Yeah. I think, you know, as we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, changing dynamics, and there's some dynamics that all of us in every industry are experiencing that are common. And then there's some that are specific to higher ed. So let's just start with a a few that I think are affect both staff and faculty. Number one, almost one third or 29% of higher ed staff workforce is over the age of 55. So yes, we have an aging workforce across the nation and in multiple industries, higher ed has a a pretty significant amount um, that they're going to be impacted by. Another uh, dynamic that is evolved with an aging workforce, knowing that you need to recruit new talent in, um, in the fall of 2020, a study conducted by Coupa HR identified that most uh, under 25-year-olds have poor perception of higher education culture and compensation. So that's a a shift and, and a mindset that HR has to address through their conversations and storytelling in order to engage a new workforce. You know, among that aging workforce of, of, you know, one third that higher ed is working with, the skilled trade workforce within a university environment is also aging. And the, the challenge with that is that there's not a pipeline to replace those individuals. So when you think about you know, an institution and a campus, it's like a mini city. And there's a lot of skilled trades workforce on campus. And so that's, yes, an, an overarching industry issue, but also very significant to higher ed as well. The other thing that higher ed is not immune to is, you know, 33% of higher education staff say they're very likely or likely to look for new employment. There was an article that came out just last week regarding another Coupa study that the voluntary rate for higher education staff is at its highest point since it began measuring it in 2017 to 2018. And then I think the last two dynamics um, that are really impacting higher ed as well is the continued hybrid on-campus remote discussion. I think, you know, people are using that conversation as a reason to look for new employment. It's not necessarily their basis for taking a position, but it's causing it's causing a stir, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all exactly spot on. And, you know, the things that I'd even say, somebody who's just sort of like seeing where it's getting to a point where I think it's very you know, it's grabbing a lot of headlines. People are talking about all these other podcasts that I follow and like the higher space and everything. And I guess it's a very like, I don't know, kind of like binary question, I guess, or sort of like black and white kind of question. Because I feel like K through 12, unfortunately, has, I think, been dealing with this sort of like blemish on their like probably recruiting reputation or sort of ability to like court people in to be teachers and everything. Do you feel like years ago, higher ed, had a bit more of this sort of like exalted, alluring status, I guess, because it was an idea of like people maybe would compare it. In my mind, I feel like it would, it would make sense if people compared it to if you could get a job in like there, it's like getting a job into like local government. It's going to be like a lot of good perks or benefits. You could just kind of, you know, hang out there for a while. It's a very secure job. But again, for a lot of those changing dynamics and everything, I think that's kind of started to erode and it maybe feels very inflexible and all that. But like, do you feel like it was kind of like up on a pedestal and it's been knocked down a few pegs? Yes, in a, in a way. I think in terms of, I think the, the main challenge is there's a lot of lack of education for individuals have, that have not worked in higher ed to understand how really awesome it is. First of all, it's like a mini city. You can go there, work there for 10 years and literally work in three to four different industries while under the same umbrella. It's mission driven. There are fantastic perks there, you know, the, there's a lot of, of selling points in there. And I think where they've lost their pedestal, so to say, is they, they stopped having the conversation and they stopped telling the story. 
and thus people looked elsewhere. I feel like that maybe would be like, you know, working in like your local government or something. Like it's a similar thing. You can kind of rest on your laurels because it's just like, yeah, we always know that like people will kind of come where we have a pretty appealing offer here to court people. But sometimes like that has just kind of gotten stale because you just kind of set it on the shelf and that sort of thing. You're not sort of like revisiting it, sort of boosting it up and, you know, putting it in front of people as often as you could and should do that. Yeah. I mean, and a big thing for me, definitely, and I've seen, it all across the spectrum is that idea of like hybrid remote work, like how is sort of just the increasing sort of digital transformation impacting this sort of specific uh, part of higher ed of how they think about uh, retaining and recruiting people. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's something where I think it's I'm kind of in a bubble myself in the sense of like, I talked to so many people who found a career in higher education and it's similar stories and all that, but it's just like, there's so many other people that like don't have that story. More people don't know that you can't even work professionally in higher education or what sort of options that has. So um, it's it often, I feel like, is that thing where like somebody taps you on the shoulder and is kind of like, oh, let me like show you this little secret door in the back of that. It's just like, oh my gosh, I'd never considered this. I didn't even know it was an option. So um, it's trying to like certainly still do that. Like that's an awesome way to kind of like say like, hey, I think you'd be really good for this and this is why and let me help you. But then just like, that idea of like, you gotta kind of market it a little bit, you know, whether it is sort of at your institutional level or uh, sort of like systemically trying to like make that more appealing outside of sort of the bubble. I think, you know, when I think about some of the elements that you're sharing around marketing, and I go back to what we talked about in the beginning is a lot of individuals that are on the front lines, they're not marketers. That's not their day job. HR isn't fully responsible for starting the conversation and telling the story. It has to be an institutional commitment of how are we going to attract talent? And then it has to be carried out across all schools and, and all programs within the institution. And that's not a pro that, that's a similar problem that most organizations are having right now and are forced to do because of the pending population shortage, the labor force participation rate, and low unemployment. Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI-powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education, has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency, with an idea. Tony's a good friend of mine, and so I said, dude, let's build a next-generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche, but oh so important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first ever content asset, which was, you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry, and we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Dave Kibbles, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. 
When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists, Mallory, and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They have invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, But if you found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or, or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. It's really interesting stuff. And I'm already kind of like, I think, uh, subtly segueing to like what I've want to ask about next was sort of sort of like the calls to action you know or sort of like what can institutions do like what do they need to do to better recruit qualified staff so i think the marketing is one part of it and it's really a complex piece and i think to me it's like if you are a hiring manager at an institution you've got to kind of raise the flag and say like we need some help here like we it's been open for too long we're not getting the right people and you know there's certainly a lot of ways i think to address that problem but otherwise like what do you feel like institutions need to do to better recruit qualified staff you know i thought a lot about this question and i tend to um i tend to be what can individuals do versus having to think okay institutionally how do we move the needle i think there's a few things that are really low hanging fruit that hiring teams or individual departments can do first is really starting a conversation working across campus to partner with alumni and other external relations departments to start telling your story to people who are already emotionally connected to you. You know, that that number one needs to start happening consistently. If you've noticed some brands that stuck out to me, I know we're not quite at the Super Bowl this year, but last year, one of the things that stuck out to me with the Super Bowl ads is how um, the, the consumer and the employee were tied together in their commercials. So there are no, a lot of companies are no longer differentiating between the consumer and the employee because the consumer can be a future employee. And so how do they tie that together? So I think that's one thing um, that can immediately be done and, and really get awareness out there to a larger, already ready-made audience, so to say. In terms of the second thing that I think individual departments and programs can do is really removing barriers. Um, the first one is cover letter. Remove the cover letter barrier. I always like to give the analogy, Justin, you know, here we are working professionals. We finish our day job. We take care of any personal responsibilities that we may have. And let's say it's, you know, 930 at night and I'm curious about this role and I sit down to want to apply and learn more. I want to engage. And then yet I'm hit with this door or barrier, so to say, of having to write a cover letter about a job I don't know, about an institution I probably don't know much about other than what's on their homepage. And now I have to do that before I can apply. And so what happens is people don't apply. They disengage. And so that's the number one thing, remove the cover letter. If you want a writing sample, if you want additional detail, 
do it at a part in the interview process where you can actually get really great information. Here's an example. You're interviewing for a controller on campus. Midway through the recruitment, ask them to put together a memo that went out campus-wide addressing a, a certain issue. And, and then do it across the board. You get equitable information. You see how they communicate on relevant topics. And you've engaged them into the process. So remove the cover letters. Second is diversity statements. Another source is really committed to dismantling systemic inequality in recruiting. When I say diversity statements, remove them from the front end of the recruitment process. I think they're valuable and, and they're critical to learn how a leader in your that you potentially will bring onto your organization supports your institution's mission and DEI goals, but asking for it before they're engaged, before they understand what your values are as an organization around DEI is another barrier. And it doesn't provide the information that really helps you select and how they live out your values as an organization and lead through that. So that would be the second one. And then the third one that I think all hiring teams can do is really engagement during the interview process or shorten the length of the interview process. Dustin, you hit on it uh, earlier. You said, you know, it's such a long interview process. It's hard to get anything done. If you can't change the process and keep the candidates engaged during the process. So I'm, I'm not asking you to shift everything over and redesign your interview process because that may not be feasible, but just engage the candidates, you know, not talking to them for six weeks at a time. Would you want to work at a place like that? Been been through that kind of adventure of like or the roller coaster, I guess I should say. I'm just sort of like, you know, sometimes like no news is no news or no news is good news and all that. So yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interviewing is like dating and, and no one likes to do it, first of all. And then second of all, this whole ghosting thing of not getting back to people or, you know, not talking to them for six weeks and letting them know where the process is at. It's an easy fix. It, it's your reputation. And it, it really can keep the candidates in the pool longer, which means you lose, don't lose as many candidates, which means you probably won't have to start over um, and fail the search. Um, last thing that I would just throw out there is encourage hiring managers um, and departments to just listen to the market, listen to what candidates are telling you, listen to the questions that they're asking. What is it about the benefits that they're interested in? What is it about the role that is the true value proposition? And then start sharing that information. That communication piece, one, it's like you're going to make your colleagues aware of issues and that helps, I think, to yeah, just contextualize the need for change or anything like that. But it can be like, this is what's working and this is what's not working. Uh, I was like, we need to post the job somewhere else. Or yeah, we're getting really great feedback on removing all sort of the hoops that people have to jump through and just being more expeditious with our process. Because it's like, even the idea is like, hey, maybe just like, you know, don't even post it until you know that you can kind of like, get kind of some momentum going versus like, well, we'll post it now knowing that we'll like start interviews six weeks from now and then we'll bring people to campus over the summer and anticipation of starting in the fall. And yeah, like that's how it was when I got out of grad school and kind of was getting my first job and stuff. It was quite the ordeal. But I think what I really like with your advice is that one, I mean, I, I don't write like, I don't write, <laughs> I don't like writing cover letters. So the idea that it's just sort of like, that's one ma major hoop, I think, and it can be kind of like a fluffy sort of thing or whatever. Either people like don't take it seriously, they might not do it, and you're sort of creating kind of you're creating uh, people. What's the word I'm looking for? You're creating delinquency in the sense of like, well, we're expecting this, you didn't do it, and all that. But it's like, well, what are you really getting out of it? Are you just 
you know, people doing it just so that it can check the box and all that. And so I think like you're keeping humans at the center of the process so that like we'll talk about the things that we care about, like, and we can get the things that we want in other ways. So I think that sort of kind of warmness, keeping people engaged and just talking with them. Yeah, I, I just really like that. I think as a device that would probably be just very refreshing to everyone involved in the process. And yeah, I think it, it just, and it feels like they are simple things that you can kind of start with. And I see the impact of thinking differently and acting differently in the way that you are uh, approaching, you know, staff recruitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, again, I'm a believer in the information that it, that can be collected through a cover letter or some sort of other writing exercise and understanding, you know, how a potential team member will impact the, the values and mission DEI. I just don't think it needs to be a qualifier to be able to submit my resume to learn more. I think it's, it's in the wrong part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I found that like some sort of activity like deliverable or something like in an interview process does make a lot of sense. But the idea that like, it might be that you're doing that in addition to like a cover letter or whatever other kind of like things that might just sort of um, hold up the process or overcomplicate it, I guess. But so all really good stuff. And I think, you know, definitely on one hand, there's like sort of clear sort of action items from what, you know, an advice that you're giving. But I'm also just like imagining and just as I'm sort of contextualizing the conversation with like all the experience and perspective that you have is idea that's like, I'm sure some people are thinking that this is kind of daunting. And that's why, like, obviously, like, people like you exist. It's just being like, hey, we do this all the time. We can, like, really, you know, bring bring that in. So, because, um, yeah, I think there, there's just those nagging pain points and frictions that, like, so many people experience, but they might not know how to, like, design around them or whatever else. So, like, yeah, this is all all really great stuff. And I'm curious, there's obviously two sides of this equation. There is the institution and the organization that is doing the recruiting and the applicants, but I don't know, I guess like sort of how involved you are with sort of like talking to people to maybe get their feedback so that you can better help institutions or whatever else. But like, do you have any advice for applicants, like how they can better sort of interface with these recruitment processes or anything like that? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things. And my advice is really assuming that the process and the engagement factor, so to say, it remains the same. My advice to applicants would be would be threefold. Number one, you know, just a friendly reminder that a resume should inform and it should create curiosity to learn more rather than leaving the reviewer with questions. Questions create hesitancy and hesitancy creates pause. And that's when people aren't moving forward. So answer the questions, make sure that your resume creates curiosity and doesn't leave questions on the table for a hiring manager. Address a gap, share with me the details, tell me the size of the budget, tell me the number of students, provide all of that information so that when I'm looking at your resume, I can think, how do I screen in? How do I open the funnel for this person's experience to be part of the next step? Second thing is, and I'm sure anyone that is interviewed within higher ed has heard the statement, gosh, it takes so long to, to learn higher ed. I prefer that they have higher ed experience. Certainly can understand that we all want onboarding and training to be as efficient and easy as possible. We're also at a point within the higher education workforce where we have got to attract new talent. There just isn't enough experienced higher ed individuals anymore to to replenish the gap that is starting to grow. And so 
from a candidate standpoint or from an applicant standpoint, Dustin, I would really encourage individuals to ask that question to the hiring manager, address it in the interview process as an elephant in the room. You know, gosh, do you see, uh, what would be some of the concerns you see me transitioning into higher ed and start the conversation? Because a lot of times if you hear what the potential concern might be, you likely have experience or a great example that you can provide back to the hiring manager that can help them overcome that. Um, and then the third, again, as I prefaced, assuming the process stays the same, is you know if an applicant or candidate is extremely interested in opportunities, follow up, show interest during those long recruitment processes, stay front of mind, ask for specific dates. Hey, you know, want you to know that I'm still interested. When do you think I can expect an update on my candidacy? And get that buy-in for it. Yeah, I mean that that sort of gives me an idea of like advice for like an institution is that idea of acknowledging like you know their hesitancy of somebody coming from the outside in to higher education and that like like oh they just couldn't get it they you know all that but like i've worked at at tech companies that help people who are like trying to partner with higher institutions better understand kind of the culture and all that and it's just like yeah, I mean, like institutions can like teach about like their culture, but then just sort of like, you know, the history of higher ed to people and kind of try to give them at least like a crash course to honor kind of likely what has come before and set the precedent or sort of all that for what they're kind of walking into. And the idea that they kind of just like, you know, throw their hands up and are just like, oh, well, they just could never get it or to take too much work and all that. And it's like, I mean, you could, I think, get them enough. And then, then like on the applicant side, yeah, I mean, like owning knowing where you are, where you want to go, why you want to go there. And like, you know, almost sort of like, I guess I, I want to say like challenging them or something, the idea of like, what are concerns that you would have for me, like working in higher education, they might be like, oh, well, you know, this, that, the other thing. And almost like vocalizing it, I'm sure demystifies it a little bit, you know, like you, you are going to kind of catastrophize in your head of like, how could this person ever work here? But it's like, well, I guess our concerns really are just like X, Y, and Z. And it's like, those feel solvable, you know, like, and again, it's just like a very human thing of sort of like, let's talk about it and figure it out versus like making a lot of assumptions and stuff. So yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah. Goes back to that dating thing. If you don't, if you don't ask, you don't know. And I, I use that metaphor a lot. So I appreciate you just did it unprompted of being like, oh man, like, you know, searching for a job and everything is like dating and especially like how higher ed traditionally i feel like has worked where it's like you know it might just be like solo date and then you do like a group date and then you come visit and like it's like it feels very much like oh yeah it's like you gotta as you like date somebody you like meet the family and you meet all the friends and like yeah <laughs> and then you when you don't hear back you're like what did the family think of me did they not like me yeah yeah so i think it, yeah it's, it's an apt metaphor because i think it's also like that idea of just you know recruitment dating whatever like it's just we have to acknowledge that they're like deeply human things, you know, like it's people trying to understand each other. Are we going to like each other? Are we going to work well together and everything? So like that we have to try to not get too far away from that. Like there's ways to try to make like the process efficient and how we're designing tools and leveraging them and all that. But like it, it should be to the ends of like having a conversation. I like also just to kind of clarify and call out because I feel like I've heard the opposite but like in my gut in my heart it does feel like it makes more sense that idea of like a resume should answer questions like some people i feel like say the opposite or maybe like the cover letter is the thing that should be like leaving them hanging like wanting no more it's like 
you should feel like you know what you're getting because that's like I guess the idea of like it should be like your dating profile like your dating it should be true and genuine and clear and being like I know who this person is and like I you know it's the real deal here so I think that's just the thing I want to make sure we didn't sort of just like gloss over yeah I, I think you know it goes back to that resume should want you wanting more which is curiosity I'm curious to understand how they did that simple that system implementation I'm curious to learn how they achieved that result versus what were they doing for the last three years just address it. Don't leave the question on the table. Create curiosity. Well, because even that point is that like somebody would say like, oh, my my resume is complete. It's full. It's got all the things on there. But it's like, it's so vague. It's like, yeah, I, I have no idea what you did for the last three years. Like, I don't, uh, you know. Uh, so yeah, that confusion, that that amb- kind of ambiguity is not, uh, uh, is not good. So so with all that we've covered, uh, as we wind down, I always kind of like to kind of look towards the horizon, look towards the future. So what do you see on the horizon for your work specifically? You know, I think I think our work, I think there's two parts. I think number one, we'll continue to build robust and diverse candidate pools and create speed and efficiency and in the introduction of new talent with, with a traditional search, a one-off search. But I think in terms of evolution, that our work is going to continue to evolve into helping institutions remove barriers. And whether that's talking through a process and where can we remove barriers to educating individuals on why is this title that we have internally not searchable? And what does that mean when we go external? How do I create relevancy out there? I I think that's really where our, our work will continue to evolve and really be able to help departments become, for lack of better words, self-sufficient and be able to take 10 more steps without us as they progress forward in their recruitment. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, I assume, because I think the sort of seeds of this are already being planted, like conversations on this will be permeating more areas of higher education. Like it won't just be sort of like the HR conferences or webinars and this and that, the other. It's just sort of like holistically, we need to interface with this, figure it out, yeah, build that relevancy and efficiency and all those sort of action words uh, hopefully are uh, ringing in people's heads here. But so, uh, you know, we'll certainly, you know, link it to you and folks can keep the conversation going and another source if you want to check out what you all are working on. But we will wrap up as we always do. If there is a final thought or call to action to summarize, wrap everything up and just kind of parting thoughts for everyone as we end the episode here. Yeah, I would say, you know, don't hesitate to lean in and and create change. None of the things that you and I talked about today, Dustin, require a reclassification, a capital budget. They require your time, your willingness to shift not only your perspective, but that of your colleagues, and to get really clear on how you want to achieve the goal, which is hire great people. Yeah, and honestly, it's just, you know, whether it's through like kind of digital tools or different things, like in any aspect of higher education and how they run, it's like, the more time you save, the more money you save and all these things. It's like you could put that back towards students, you know, and if you're getting like the people that you need to do the work that you need to do and all of that, like I think you could certainly get stuck in kind of a vicious cycle here and you've got to try to like make a pivot or do some sort of reallocation or something like, and like you said, it doesn't need to be this huge seismic kind of shift, but I think a good, you know, solid change, like all the advice and things that you've outlined, like I think it will sort of beget further improvements and all of that because you're just going to be able to 
get better people quicker, which will allow like people's schedules to be like, kind of freed up and whatever else. If it's like, yeah, I'm doing like three people's jobs right now. Like I, I need to get some more people in here. And if it's just like, cool, okay. I have to like recalibrate it back to what would be sort of a normal, you know, workload here. So then I can hopefully continue to drive forward, you know, what helped get us here in terms of reevaluating our uh, hiring processes and everything. So, um, yeah, really great stuff. Really appreciate all that you shared, all the time that you gave here. And like I said, we'll make sure folks can check out uh, you and uh, another source to uh, kind of read up on more uh, of what you all are doing and everything. So um, just thank you so much for, for the work that you do and for jumping on the podcast. Today. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Great to meet you. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.